Hey everybody, Pastor Craig here, and we are taking another little dip into the weeds. Um, I, I gotta watch myself. I don't want to like have to record one of these every week, but every every week so far in Ephesians, we've come across something that has kind of called for a little bit of extra, um, <laughs> a little bit of extra um, attention. And um, this one will not be quite as um, as weedy, if you will, <laughs> as the uh, one on election, but. Um, and God's planning. But this is, uh, we talked last week about our passage first in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, about what we call the Pauline triad, which is um, these three terms, faith, hope, and love. We know them probably best from the end of 1 Corinthians 13, where it says these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And in that context, Paul is putting these three things out and talking about the the supremacy of love and the primacy of love in that moment. But um, these three terms, plus one, um, faith, hope, love, and power, um, I want to just talk a little bit about this, um, drawing on um, the work of um, a Pauline scholar, Michael Gorman. Michael Gorman has actually um, been um, a really um, good Pauline scholar. I've used his books in my New Testament class, as well as I taught a class called The Cross in the New Testament and um, Gorman has written a book called Cruciformity, and uh, really good. So these, um, I wanted just a little bit background on the terms, and then a little bit about um, what is uh, what Paul is accomplishing by using these terms together. So um, this might, like I said, hopefully this is a little lighter than um, the last superlapsarian versus uh, uh, versus infralapsarian Calvinism. Anyhow. Uh, the, so the, the three terms, or the four terms in the triad, um, faith, hope, love, and power. Let's just talk a little bit about faith, hope, and love. Faith occurs—the term faith is the term pistis in Greek. It, it occurs 142 times in the Pauline letters, so 13 Pauline letters, 142 times faith occurs. Um, love occurs um, 75 times, just as a noun. All of these have verbal forms that I'm not counting in this, but— um, uh, so faith 142 times, love 75 times, and hope 36 times. So um, that's a lot of occurrences, but all three of them show up together in 10 passages in the New Testament, seven times in Paul, and then three more times, um, once, twice in Hebrews, once in 1 Peter. Um, so Romans 5, 1 through 5, I'm just going to walk real quickly through them. Um, Romans 5, 1 through 5, it talks about we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then um, sufferings produce endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. So those three things. We already talked about 1 Corinthians 13, um, which is these three remain faith, hope, and love. Um, but the greatest of these is love. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And then in Galatians 5, it says, um, through, through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So again, faith, hope, and love in these. Um, our passage uh, that we read this last week was First Corinthians or Ephesians 1, 15 through 13. We talked about faith, hope, love, and power in there. It will occur again. These three terms will occur not as kind of tidy as the others, 
um, later in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about um, 4.2, bearing with one another in love, um, and that we've been called to one hope, um, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So maybe not as tidy as those other ones um, there. We do see it in Colossians 1. This is a great, if you want to talk about this, Colossians 1.4, we always thank God when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So that that's kind of a, a very tidy, concise statement of that. First Thessalonians 3, or First Thessalonians 1 is a good example. First Thessalonians 1, 3 says, Remembering before God our Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. So that's another really, really tight one. And then later, a couple verses later, it talks about our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. So those four terms show up again there in a really nice, concise cluster uh, in 1 Thessalonians. And then, like I said, uh, Hebrews 6 has it, um, 6.10 through 12, um, Hebrews 10.22 through 24, and then 1 Peter 1, 21 through 22. Um, and, uh, so I suppose the point of this is that I wanted to say that, you know, oftentimes when we talk about Paul, we talk about Pauline theology. What did Paul think about God or what did Paul think about Jesus or the Holy Spirit or the church? And these are, these are kind of classic or the atonement. These are classic categories of theology. Um, but these terms are not entirely, theology. They are theology. They, they are what we would call, um, what we probably would call more spirituality in the sense that um, when theology is lived out and experienced, that is the experience of spirituality. So um, these four terms are not entirely theology, but they are what we called on Sunday the lived experience of of Christian belief, faith, hope, love, power. They yes, they are theological, but they are more experiential. That the idea is that um, when Paul wanted to talk about what the followers of Jesus could expect to live out and see present in their lives, he used these terms. So the idea, what could you expect in a life where God adopted you, Jesus redeemed you, and the Holy Spirit of God lives within you, you would expect experiences of faith, hope, love, and power, or empowerment, I should say. Um, so so with since Paul is interested in these things, I just wanted to revisit a little bit of what they are, expand a little bit. We did talk on Sunday about this, and certainly listening to the sermon, um, if you listen to the sermon once, that that's enough. But if you do want to go back and listen, um, there is a section in there where I, um, I kind of walk through these, but I wanted to kind of um, uh, just expand a little bit on them and see where we could go. Um, but the, the first thing is this, that each of them have kind of a primary direction. Um, faith is directed in the direction of God. We'll talk about that. Love is directed in the direction of others, toward service toward others. Hope is directed toward the future, a primary direction towards the future, anticipating what God will do. And then power, power is this idea that the relationship with power, 
power is kind of the attitude you have that is directed toward the forces that seek to form you and your behavior. So your attitude towards the forces of this world and your attitude essentially towards the Spirit of God that is going to empower that formation. Um, so faith, hope, love, and power. Um, so that this idea of theology as lived experience or the spirituality of a life of faith or the idea what do believers experience in a life of faith. I think another just aside here— as you read your Bible and as you maybe do Bible study, I think it is this might be a good these might be good categories as you do your own Bible study, even as you read your Bible in the morning and you're looking for what is God doing. I think you know reading the Bible and asking, okay, what does it say literally? like what's the literal meaning of it? But also what does it say about what we believe, like faith? What does it say about what we should do, love? What does it say about what we should anticipate, hope? And what does it say about empowerment or power? So these are, I think these are actually really interesting categories for interpretation as well, not just in our lived experience, but as we come to a passage of Scripture, they actually can be very informative for our own Bible study, um, these four categories, taking them from Paul and then kind of superimposing them. That actually is part of a um, an ancient tradition of looking at various meanings in Scripture, um, kind of before the Protestant Reformation. But anyhow, that's that's that. So let's talk about the four things: faith, hope, love, and power. And uh, some of this will be a little bit of repeat of what we talked about on Sunday, but some of it will also be um, maybe some new, um, a little bit more in depth. So we talked about the idea of faith. If if one of these stands at the head, it is faith. And faith is this idea of a, it's directed toward God and the Lordship of Jesus. So if you're thinking about faith, whenever you see faith showing up in Scripture, faith is really about your posture toward God and towards the Lordship of Jesus. We Sometimes faith, you talk about the faith of Jesus, sometimes you talk about faith in Jesus, or you talk about faith in God. And faith, like we had said, um, we've said earlier in other sermons, that faith is trusting God and entrusting ourselves to God. We'll talk a little bit more about faith as we go through a couple more passages in Ephesians, but um, but basically the idea of, of faith is this, is we are either oriented toward God or we are oriented away from God. And if we are oriented away from God, um, that is more of a posture of faithlessness, um, if we are oriented toward God, that is a posture of faithfulness. And so um, the, que- the the fundamental question that really I think Paul talks about and that Paul um, understands and that really all spiritual traditions or Christian traditions is, do you have a life that is fundamentally oriented toward God? And I think even as we look at the Old Testament, we look at the—and we moving into the Jesus and the New Testament and the early Church, these, this idea of faith has not changed. You, we look through Ezekiel. One of the reasons why God takes the people of the, uh, the nation of Israel out of the land is they, they had ceased to have a life that was fundamentally oriented toward God. They had moved to idols, and they had moved away from God. They had not—they had turned away, and they were not fundamentally oriented toward him. And so um, the idea of entrusting yourself completely to God, being fundamentally oriented, and we talked about this, that Jesus is the best example of this sort of life in Hebrews 12.1, that 
Um, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Jesus is lives a life of faith, that he is actually our example of faith. He is our example of a life fundamentally oriented towards God, and we follow in his steps, according to 1 Peter. And we follow we follow after him. He provides the example of what that looks like. So, um, And there's no greater example of the faith of Jesus than when he's on the cross being overwhelmed by Roman power, and he entrusts himself fully to the one who can raise him from the dead. So he entrusts himself to God the Father, in his human weakness, he entrusts himself to God the Father, and God vindicates him. And that faith, faith is this is this awaiting also for the vindication of God to come. So Paul says that a life in Christ is one of faith. And so there, and of course, then the call then is to repent and to turn and face him and to reorient towards him. So that's faith. Faith is the fundamental orientation toward God. Hopefully, even as we define these, it might even be helpful as you read, you have these kind of categories, theological and spiritual categories, as we look at Scripture together. Love. What is love? Um, Love, if faith is primarily focused toward God, love is primarily focused externally toward others. So according to... um, 1 Corinthians 13, it's kind of negatively, it does not seek its own advantage or its own edification. Positively, it does seek the good, the advantage, the edification of others. That love is essentially a self-emptying love. That divine love is a self-emptying love. It's not just, it is affection. It's not, it's not not affection. It is affection, but it is also a self, it's a love. It is an affection that um, that goes so far as to give up its own status, give up my own status, our own status, for the sake of another. And Philippians 2 is a great example of that. Jesus, again, is a great example of love, that he is the in, being um, in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God, but he emptied himself. And so he gives up that status, that position, in order to serve, that he becomes a human, he becomes a slave, and he, become, he, he gives himself up to suffering and death, even death on a cross, that this is the giving up of the position for the sake of others. Even in Philippians chapter 2, where um, at the beginning of that passage, um, Paul talks about to the Philippians that he doesn't want them to consider their own uh, interests, but they, he wants them to consider the interests of others that have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, that do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more more significant than yourselves. Look out for the interests of others. This is love. That is the that's the definition of love, and. Um, so that and Jesus then demonstrates that uh, Paul will go on in Galatians five five six to say that um, really the only important thing is faith expressing itself through love, and of course First Corinthians thirteen does this really well because in First Corinthians um, thirteen right after explaining that the Spirit is going to empower you, empower you with all these gifts and words of knowledge and words of wisdom and um, but then he goes on in verse in in 1 Corinthians 13 to say, look, if I speak in the tongue of angels, but I have not love, 
I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, that I um that the the empowerment of the spirit always needs to be done through love, self-emptying love for the sake of others, always for the edification of others. If if we're using our gifts for our own advantage, then we might be empowered, but we are not be loving. Let me say that. That's that, I'm I'm going to write this down because this is this is good stuff. Um, the, the, if we if we're only using our gifts for our own advantage for our own advantage, then we are not being loving in our empowerment, and we that's why we have to be really um, cautious about our skills and abilities that we want to use them, and even our spiritual gifts and empowerment from the Spirit, especially that, we want to be aware that we are using these on on behalf of others, because Paul talks about the idea that a life of faith in Jesus is going to be characterized by love. Love is essentially the evidence of the presence of Christ by his Spirit in a person or community. Romans 13, 8, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Uh, Galatians 5, the whole law is summed up in one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So if faith is really the, the head of this, um, one of the things about love, love is love is really the present reality, um, and it, it is the most significant thing in a community um, after faith. Um, some, some have said faith, um, faith looks back to the work of Jesus, Hope looks forward to the coming of Jesus, but love is the present reality in the life of the Spirit of the Church. And so love, that's one of the reasons why in 1 Corinthians 13, he's like, you have to do these things for the sake of others, not for your own benefit. Love. Okay. All right. Uh, And then hope. Hope. um, And we talked about this, that we are in between times. We're in kind of the overlap of the ages, that we're in this... um, present situation of incompleteness, pressure, um, of suffering, and that we know that the promise is that um, this will not be the ultimate and final reality, that there will be a, though there is an incompleteness and opposition now to those of faith and those who believe in Jesus, um, the future is coming where um, when Jesus returns, all things will be made right, and that there will be a great reversal of fortune. Uh, we talked about even though now we are in the we have these treasures and jars of clay, and outwardly we might be wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed, and we look forward to the day when we can. Though even though we when we when we die, we absent from the body is present with the Lord. We do look forward not just to being disembodied with Jesus in His presence, but to be reembodied and reformed in bodies and resurrected bodies and living whole existences with Jesus. And so the hope, what is the hope? Hope, the hope of glory, this idea where um, everything will be made right, we will be resurrected, made glorious like him, the hope of the resurrection and being with Christ. And that on that day, all power structures will be in an alignment with Jesus. There will be no foreign armies invading. Um, there will be, all will be made right because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And creation, according to Romans 8, creation will be freed from its present corruption and disintegration and um, degrading. And, and, and until then, 
God will guide, God will be present, and he'll walk with us, but he will remind us of the hope that is to come. So hope that life, a life in faith is a life that is experienced in hope. And we saw in our passage that um, that Paul seemed to think that the Ephesians had faith and love. They're doing good there. But what they needed was they needed their eyes of their hearts enlightened to the hope that was coming, which might tell us that they were experiencing some opposition, some persecution, um, some pressure, and that he was like, hey, you got to have your eyes on the horizon and hope. Okay? So hope. So faith, hope. A faith, love, hope, and power. And um, we talked about power. Power is the addition to the triad. Um, and really, uh, power is really, maybe another way to, to look at this is what is your posture towards power? Um, and it, we, we define power as the ability to exercise um, control or influence over people or over history for either good or for bad. Um, so exercising control or influence for either good or bad. Um, power is one of these neutral things. Um, it's not bad to exert power, but you can do it for various reasons. You can do it for good or bad reasons. Um, power, we, we have noted that God has given authority to humans, being image bearers. He's told, he's given um, humans the authority to tend the garden, essentially, and to care for creation, um, and to make technology. There's been all of this power and empowerment Um but power is really the ability to form or transform something. And um, Paul, one of the things about power, our current experience of power, that Paul believes that human beings are under the power of this kind of what he calls it, uh, what Gorman calls an interlocking directorate of anti-human and anti-God realities. So things like Paul will talk about what, what kind of things have power, um, sin, death, the world, this age has power. Idols have power. Cosmic forces have power. Satan is called the god of this age. He has power. The flesh has power, and even our own the, the self has power. And these can be this kind. This is a, what he calls an interlocking directorate. All these things together, whether and even human rulers. You take human rulers and you throw them on top of that, and you have human power interlocking with cosmic powers and um and even uh, and demonic forces and you have these kind of um these hostile powers have um have disordered the relationships um with god between humans and god humans and each other and humans and the creation and um and according to paul humans can't break free from the grip of these disabling powers and so that's why he sends his son to begin this process of defeating the powers. And um, so the cross ends up doing what nothing else can do in order to free humanity. And so this idea of, um, uh, so Paul writes into this world of imperial power, spiritual forces, and um, uh, and so who has the power? We talked last last week about who has the power over life and death. And um, if you were in the Roman Empire, you'd be like, well, Caesar has the power over life and death. And what Jesus does on the cross, it says, no, he doesn't. He, can, he, can, he thinks he does. He has the power to take life, to destroy. He does not have the power to raise someone from the dead. And only God has that power. And, my, and, and faith in 
God, faith in Jesus and what he, what God has done in Jesus, will will be an overwhelmingly conquering power in light of the destructive power of this world. Um, even like uh, Jesus says in um, in John, John chapter 10, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life, that Jesus has come with the power for life, um, not just the power to destroy. I think just an aside here, as we watch the news and we watch Ukraine, you th- you look at you know armies and uh, Russian invasion and bombs and things like that, and even you look at the nat- the nature of weaponry. The nature of weaponry historically has just been to destroy. It's been it it is to um, you know and 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 it's powerful. And we tend to we look at that power and we we awe, we awe at that power. We talk about bombing campaigns as shock and awe, and you know even as as um, United States citizens, oftentimes we are enamored with our our ability to wage war. Um, but we have to we do need to think about this posture of true power is the ability to give life and not take it away. And that is one of the places where um, I mean for me I've, I I have to reorder that. I I love revenge, I love power like you look at all the 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 tools and the weaponry of war, they can be enamoring. And there is a sense in which we have to retrain our senses to value the things that can give life rather than the raw exercise of destructive force. And so um, what we see in Jesus is Jesus is one who actually gives himself up over to destructive forces, weathers the storm, actually go, well, doesn't, dies, but then um, shows the, the what, um, what, is, what do they call it, the, um, the overwhelming power of God uh, in Ephesians chapter uh, chapter two or chapter one, that he talks about the great power. Let me find the verse here. Um, that he says um, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and then enthroned him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all other destructive forces, rule, authority, power, dominion, every name that is named. And so this idea of the difference between destructive power and the power to give life is a significant thing, and that it's a, it's, the power to give life is, is this ironic, paradoxical sense of, like, Jesus dies in order to give life. He gives himself up, in order that there might be life. And so this is this is the paradox, this is the foolishness and the scandal of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 1. All right, there you have it. Um, there we go. That's in the weeds for the week. Um, hope this is helpful. It's a little bit of a deeper dive um, and a little bit of my kind of unedited ramblings as well. So um, certainly, it, it hopefully this gives some, some space for reflection. How am I doing with faith? How am I doing with love? How am I doing with hope? Am I a hopeful person? How am I doing with my relationship to power? Am I enamored by destruction? Or, um, or am I focusing on the power to give life and what God can do? And that, that, upside, that the, the greatest power is actually the, in being entrusting yourself to God no matter what may come, and uh, that God will vindicate, that that is the ultimate power. And 
Of course, these all interlock and there's some great stuff that can be done, but I'll leave that to you. Um, great. Thanks for being uh, with me one more time within the weeds. Uh, we'll see you guys on Sunday.